Last month, we learned that Athel Gifu wasn't a major saint after all. But the same cannot be said for Saint Athelthrith. Athelthrith was a 7th century queen who was married twice, refused to consummate her marriages, and left her second husband, the King of Northumbria, to become the abbess of Ely. An important English figure both before and after the Norman Conquest, Athelthrith has been written about by medieval authors more than any other English female saint. One of the earliest sources we have for Athelthrith's life is Bede's Ecclesiastical History, which devotes a whole chapter to her. And if you'd like to join an online reading circle I'm leading on this chapter, keep listening. She is also included in the 10th century Alfrich's Life of Saints and Gosselin of Sambatan's Lives of Female Saints. The 12th century Liber Eliensis, or Book of Ely, fleshes out her life further, while another 12th century text, written in Anglo-Norman by an author named Marie, is the earliest example of a woman authoring a text about Athelthrith. Athelthrith is also the only early English saint for whom we have a portrait. There are two portraits of her in the 10th century Benedictional of Athelwold. Athelthrith was the daughter of Anna, king of East Anglia. Her exact birth date is not known, but she must have been born within a few decades of the East Anglian Sutton Hoo burials. Indeed, one possible candidate for the body in the ship burial mound is King Radwald, Athelthrith's great-uncle. She was married to a nobleman called Tondbert, though he died about three years into their marriage. After five years as a widow, in Bede's words, she was given to her second husband, Edgefrith, heir to King Oswiu of Northumbria, in 660. Edgefrith was around 15 years old at this point, and the widowed Athelthrith was likely much older. She doesn't seem to have had much choice in either of her marriages, both of which would have been political. The East Anglian royal house already had connections with Northumbria. Anna's brother had married a Northumbrian princess, Heraswith, Hild of Whitby's sister. Athelthrith was a less than willing bride, as Bede tells us that she remained a virgin through her first marriage and her second. He learned this from Bishop Wilfred, who was apparently begged by Edgefrith, who had inherited his father's throne in 670, to persuade her to consummate the marriage in exchange for land and money. Wilfred seems to have been on Athelthrith's side in this matter, and around 20 years after her first marriage, Athelthrith finally got her wish when Wilfred made her a nun. She seems to have repaid him by giving him the huge estate of Hexham, on which he founded a monastery. So Wilfred ended up with the land he was promised anyway. A year later, Athelthrith had founded her own monastery on her huge estate at Ely and became its abbess. It was a mixed monastery, admitting both men and women, which was common in this period. Bede praises her for her monastic lifestyle. She only wore wool, never linen, never washed, and only ate once a day, with the exception of major feast days like Easter. Bede tells us that Athelbrith prophesied a plague which was to kill her and a number of others in the monastery, and indeed she died during this epidemic after seven years as abbess. She was suffering from a large painful tumour on her neck, which Bede says she took pleasure in, 
telling everyone that she deserved the affliction because of all the heavy gold and pearl necklaces she wore when she was younger. Archaeological surveys have found that jewellery was an important signifier of a woman's status and identity in this period, and different types of jewellery were bestowed at significant stages in life. By revelling in her ironic neck affliction, Athelthrith is rejecting the wealth she once enjoyed. Though a further irony could be seen in the fact that it was Athelthrith's queenly wealth and land ownership that allowed her to build Ely and become its abbess in the first place. She wished to be buried in a simple wooden coffin like the others who died. She was succeeded by her sister, Siaxburg, a widow of the King of Kent, and she also had three other sisters who became saints, Athelbur, Whitbur, and Seathrith, as well as two nieces, Jormenhild and Jorkengurta. Sixteen years after Athelthrith died, her sister, Siaxbur, decided to have her reburied inside the church in a stone coffin. She ordered some of the monks to travel out of Ely, which at the time was an island, to find a stone to make a coffin. When they reached Grantchester, they found a white marble coffin already made among Roman ruins outside the city walls. When they opened her grave, ready to move her body into this new coffin, they found that Athelthrith had not decomposed in 16 years. Bede includes a testimony by Athelthrith's doctor, Kinefrid, who was present both when she died and when her remains were revealed. He had drained her neck tumour by an incision a few days before she died, but after her death the wound had completely healed. The doctor says that her body was as fresh as the day she was buried. Not only this, but Bede goes on to say that Athelthrith miraculously fit into the repurposed coffin perfectly, as if it had been made to her measurements. He goes on to include a hymn dedicated to her virginity, which invokes the names of six early Christian virgin martyrs. Bede is careful to stress repeatedly that the miracle of Athelthrith's incorruptible body, the earliest known instance of the claim that someone's entire body had not decayed in England, was due to the fact that she was not corrupted by having sex with a man in her lifetime. So part one has looked at Athelthrith's life and the years immediately after her death. Part two will look at her legacy, the cult that emerged after her death that transformed her into one of England's major saints. We will also look closer at the role of her sisters and nieces in her legacy. We will see her transformed from an incorruptible virgin queen into a warrior saint, protecting Ely along with her sisters and using her crook to impale bad men, really. While you're waiting for the second instalment, you can join my reading circle. Last week, I gave my paying subscribers the chance to read through Bede's chapter on Athelthrith with me and discuss it using an app I'm working with called Threadable. The app is still in development but allows users to create reading circles where members can create comment threads within texts for free. This reading circle will be active for the next 10 days and I'm now opening it up to all my subscribers. If you have an Apple device, you can download Threadable and use the code stated in the newsletter to enter my circle and join in the discussion or ask questions about Athelthrith. 